ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, aliens of all shapes, sizes, colors, ages, and those visiting from the shadow realm that wish to listen to our podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the internet's most hated mafia-themed geek podcast, Long Coat Mafia Podcast. It is I, the one, the only Reverend Godfather, a.k.a. the Martinsburg Madman, a.k.a. This show's frontman and main host. One, uh, I know all of you are hating these uh, filler episodes right now. Uh, right now, there's nothing I can do about that, uh, which leads me to two. I know you all are hunka hunka hungry for something new, and rest assured, me and Sasha are planning on a extra large episode this upcoming weekend. So... Uh, and we'll be talking about everything from FNAF to some drama that's been happening in the horror scene and a whole, whole lot more. And uh, a good chance I'll be talking about a, uh, a movie that is kind of right now coming in under the radar. But it, it, you folks, you guys got to ch- check it out. Stay tuned next week for this main episode that may be coming out. But the reason for this filler episode, and again, I know you all hate them, is because, one, the SAG strike is going on. So finding out more about indie creators is still a high priority on everybody's mind uh, in regards to that. Uh, you hear me talk about it. You hear Sasha talking about it. We both have a lots and lots of love for uh, these independent creators that are trying their damnedest out there. And there is so much hate uh, to go along with the love for these creators. These creators have lots of fans out there that love, love their their content and what they do and how they do it and that they're trying something new and trying new avenues, uh, avenues of creation and uh, always experimenting, and yeah, they might not be gems at times, but a lot of them are gems. They're fun to watch, um, and let me put it like this: uh, you have to check out these creators that we mentioned. Yes, I was super critical about uh, Wesley and his uh, first film, Zero. That's Z dash E R O, but. It's his first, uh, his first movie that he did, uh, but everything else, uh, heck, uh, that's one of the reasons why some fans might not love their the movies that are put out. They don't realize it might be a creator's first film, trying something new, trying to put to life an idea, and you have other creators like David Kerr did with Bloody Summer Camp, that wanted to do an homage to the movies that uh, made him want to make movies. So, therefore, he did that homage, and fans, uh, or I should say, people didn't like that movie and were rating it like one star because, why? Oh, it had a lot of tropes. It was stupid. It was this. It was that. It wasn't stupid, in any way, shape, or form, it might have come off as stupid because a lot of fans, horror fans now, are not used to that 
type of movie, number one. Number two, a lot of the slasher films in the 80s were stupid. And that's what David wanted to come across as. And it was beautiful. It's a beautiful work of art. Sometimes stupid is beautiful uh, in a way. And Sasha will probably yell at me this upcoming week in regards to it. But she might also agree. But that's the thing. And there's a lot of nuance and depth. That's why me and Sasha talk about, you know, these independent creators and why they're important. And that's why we're going to try to uh, uh, talk to all of you in a new segment coming. uh, I don't know if we're starting it this week or not or next week or whenever. Underrated movies that we we are watching or uh, stuff that's coming in under the radar. And that's why I want to share with you this interview I did back in early 2019. I think I shared this interview back in late 2020, I think December 2020. Uh, It's the interview I did with uh, the man behind Darkstone Entertainment Films, uh, John Johnson or Johnny Johnson. Uh, He was somebody I was looking to interview uh, for at that point for four years and this man has done a large body of work from shorts to full-length films uh, and everything else uh, where he uh, some you can catch some of his stuff I think it might be on Tubi if not YouTube uh, heck uh, the best thing I could say is if you're listening to this and you want to find more about this man's creations and where you can find them uh, outside of maybe eBay and paying a crap ton for them or uh, horror circuits that might have some of his work, um, is contacting the man himself. Uh, his uh, social media and everything else will be in the description down below or everything else that you could find him. Uh, it'll be his website, his Facebook, his Twitter, his TikTok, everything. Uh, find Find that out. Uh, follow him, show him some love. Uh, not to mention, uh, let me say this: he, I first met this man back in twenty uh, two thousand six at horror, yeah, horrifying in Baltimore, watching his uh, his movie John Johnson Skeleton Key, and I fell in love with this movie. It was I, I was an insta fan after watching this film, and I. I've been watching this stuff ever since. Uh, I love what he does. I love what he tries to do. Um, I'm critical in regards to it. In this, uh, I talked to him about his movie that I watched prior to uh, the interview. Uh, the Jester, uh, his his film at that time, The Jester, and a whole lot more. Uh, I think uh, we talk about that. Let me put it like this. Uh, both him and I were thinking maybe this interview would last maybe at most a half hour to an hour tops. This interview lasted over an hour and 40 minutes. It was a complete deep dive, ladies and gentlemen. I can't wait for you guys and gals out there to hear it. So what I'm going to do is let George know to hit the button and so we can get on with things. Hey, George! Let's hit the button, all right? Hit it.
We'll be right back with more of the Long Coat Mafia podcast. Folks, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the intro. And with me today, we've been trying to have this gentleman on for the past three years, if not uh, since we started the show. Uh, my co-host has uh, been bugging me to have him on, and we finally got him on. And could you kindly introduce yourself, sir, and what you do? Uh, my name is John Johnson, and thank you for having me, uh, finally. <laughs> and uh, um, I make a ridiculous amount of movies. Some might say too much. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Uh, the, co- the company, you, you're the one that founded Darkstone Entertainment. Yes, right? sir. Uh, Darkstone Entertainment I came up with in 1993 on August 3rd in uh, my bedroom with <laughs> a couple witnesses. Uh, uh, to kind of uh, st- try to start from the beginning, uh, uh why you're primarily known for making i don't want to say cheesy because some of them are pretty good in regards to storyline uh mm-hmm. why horror though why horror and fantasy well um so when i first decided that i was going to be a filmmaker i uh i, I well i lived in uh, charlottesville virginia and i graduated early in fourth grade so i had a five-month summer uh, in a new town that I didn't know anybody in. And I knew I was interested in being a filmmaker. I had made one short at that point. Uh, and uh, I knew like this was something I wanted to do. So I went to a video store called Home Cinema. And I, I said I wanted an education in film. And what I would do is I would rent 2,000 movies from them. And they would cut me a deal. And what they did is they said a dime for new releases and a nickel for older films. So in those five months, I watched 2,000 movies, um, which was amazing. I mowed lawns during the day, and then I'd watch eight to ten movies a night, um, uh, every night. And, uh, and what I did is I started renting one from every uh, genre, like one comedy, one drama, one romantic comedy, one horror, one sci-fi. And as it progressed, I got more interest out of the storylines that were coming out of horror, and so I'd rent two horror movies and eight or uh, six other movies from other genres. And then it was five movies from horror and four movies. And then eventually I was just consuming everything I possibly could horror. And then, you know, stuff, uh, other movies as well, but mostly horror. Just because the, the whole, you know, when you, when you sit down to watch a horror film, you're willing to accept anything right off the bat. Like if you're making a drama and you're like, or a sci-fi film, and you're like, okay, it's a steampunk movie, so you have to explain how the science of steampunk works for them to believe it, especially if it's like a drama. But if you're a horror film, within 10 minutes, you can say, well, the air is purple. And you're like, okay, the air is purple. Like, you just immediately, you're willing to just jump into whatever storyline and reality that you create uh, without having to over-explain it. You, you can just make a statement and then go right into it. And I think that's what I love about horror because uh, for the most part, every horror film has a strong subgenre. There's horror comedy, horror action, horror drama, um, horror western. Like they, they all have. Uh, rarely you find horror films now that are just straight horror. Like they always have some kind of really strong subgenre. So it's, it's just a like a big market, and uh, a lot of stories can be told there, and that's what I like about it. 
personally, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a horror western before. Uh, that's just me right. personally. I don't think they're that. Uh, they're not super common. I've made one, um, and uh, there is uh, a few zombie. Uh, Danny Trejo plays a uh, a zombie hunter in the old west. So there there is a, there is a few of these, um, but they are more rare. So. Uh, and as uh, obviously you said you got inspired to be a film, I won't say inspired, but you want to l learn to be a filmmaker as what, uh, in, again, in kind of elementary school, but what really inspired you to, to learn to be a, a filmmaker? What, was there something that was that catalyst that say, I want to, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to learn to do this. What was it? I don't think there was anything. I think uh, I think I just was either cursed or lucky that the second that I was born, I knew I wanted to perform and tell stories. Like I just always knew. Um, when I was in uh, first grade, I wrote and directed a play that was performed for the entire school, and then made my first short film, like which basically was based off of V, the TV series with uh, laser tag guns. Like when I was in second grade and then and then I took some time where I just was a kid um, but I always kind of knew and then when I was 12 I was like okay I want to do this but I don't really know if there was an uh, like an incident that incited it rather than me just saying okay I waited long enough I've, I'm done being not me and now I'm just going to be me for the rest of my life so uh what you learned was basically trial and error, or did you finally say, I want to go to uh, some sort of schooling for for this? Or for well, this? In, in the... Oh, I'm sorry. What, what um, was that? Oh, the, in the early 90s, uh, there really wasn't too many avenues for learning. Um, this was before the real independent market burst of Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino, and Robert Rodriguez. Uh, which was like 94, 95, when they, when they became, you know, everybody knew them. Um, uh, so I didn't really have a choice but to, I would, uh, I, for my entire freshman and sophomore year of, uh, of high school, I, um, I would write a movie on Tuesday through Thursday, shoot it Friday, uh, edit it Sunday, screen it Monday night, and then start all over again. And I did that every weekend for uh, definitely all of my freshman year. And then somewhere in the middle of the sophomore year, I decided to make a feature, which changed. The, the whole game was different at that point. I won't get into the difference between, uh, uh, even though we had this discussion many times in the past on your YouTube channel, on not so much YouTube, but uh, your Facebook channel, uh, page several times mm -hmm. but uh over the years even though technology has become more available and easier has uh working with the late conrad brooks and uh briefly lloyd coffin helped refine your skills as a filmmaker and a storyteller at all uh well i mean i well lloyd like Lloyd so much is, isn't as an inspiration so much as uh, a storyteller as he is a producer. Um, same with Ed Wood. It, the, these guys are relentless filmmakers. Like it's the, the really inspiring part about looking at their careers is just the, 
the admiration for what they did versus like the work itself. Like I enjoy a, a good trauma film and, you know, an Ed Wood film, but I don't know if any of them inspired me directly, but like an autobiography by Lloyd Kaufman and Conrad Brooks goes a lot further or, you know, or Ed Wood, like learning, learning how they just kept going and kept making movie after movie after movie. I think that's what attracted me more to them than the work they were doing themselves. And uh, just for the aspect, so we kind of, uh, uh, from, since I'm getting that little almost roadblock in my head, uh, so much to ask you uh, and everything else. And in order to kind of promote your latest movie coming out, uh, can mm-hmm. you, which is uh, Darknet, uh, which you've... Yeah. I think funded yourself both on the back end and on through Kickstarter also to publish y- yourself or distribute yourself, which we'll also get to in a little bit. Uh, but yeah. in the most part, uh, what is your process uh, in regards to making a movie such as like Darknet? Well, that's a Darknet has a new strategy. Um, you know, for many many years, I would uh, go to investors, shoot the film sell the film to a company, the, a distributor, and then uh, hopefully make our money back or not make our money back, depending on the luck of the draw. Uh, and I did that since 2003. So I, I've been doing that a long time. Um, but we realized that with the if we kept the budget smaller with the dark net and we only spent like maybe 10000 on it and just call in a lot of favors, um, we could try, like, if we sold 500 copies of the Blu-ray at, you know, $15 a pop um, or $20 a pop, we made our money back just from the physical release. So that dynamic is why I was like, well, you know, we'll, let's, try, let's try this and see what happens. Now, we did have investors uh, raise the money for the movie itself, um, and then we did a Kickstarter for the back end to basically... Uh, pay for the like creation of the discs and this and that kind of a thing. Um, but, uh, so far so good. We haven't started selling them yet, so we don't know if it's going to work, but I know plan nine, uh, uh, sold a lot of copies. Uh, and we didn't really get a big check from that. And so it was like, well, I just did the math and it was like, why aren't we trying now? We don't have the reach. We're not going to be in Walmart. But we get a couple good conventions. I remember when I made a film, Shadowhunters, I had about 200 copies of the movie. I think Shadowhunters was my first release. And so I had a box of 200 copies. And we went to a convention called Horror Find in like 2004 or five. And by the end of the weekend, we were, we were sold out. We sold every last copy. Um, and like, you know, you get to a good convention and you, you can very well or very easily move all your merchandise if, uh, if, if people respond to it. So, uh, and then we're going to put it out on VOD as well. We might go through a distributor for VOD, um, but we're going to keep the rights to the physical, and that's where we're going to uh, try to make our money back. Uh, but what, what, uh, what, uh, that's probably one of the things that I wanted to go into uh, in a bit, but uh, what is the process of actually or your process, um, if you wish to tell us, uh, in regards to not so much uh, funding it, but 
uh, what is your process in creating a film from, in essence, idea to script to uh, getting the film ready to, in essence, be filmed and so forth? Well, ideas is basically just being struck by lightning. Like, I will be in a car, uh, on the toilet, I will be out having dinner, and then all of a sudden just the, the, the basic two-sentence idea will hit me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so then I, you know, try to flush it out. And I usually do that with long drives and music. Uh, I'll just put on, like, inspiring music and just think about my idea and see if I can build any scenes. Uh, like, if I start seeing the movie, essentially. And I use music as a tool for that. Once I've, if I've got a, a good feel for the, the scenes to where I get to where I can see the trailer. Like, if I can get that far. I'm like, okay, I, I, like these shots would go well in the trailer and this would kind of make it feel like the story. Then I'm like, then I get to the point where like, okay, we go put the producer hat on, find the time slot for it. It's like, okay, we can make the movie at this time. And then at that point, I seclude myself or uh, go away. I, I go, uh, I, I sever myself from my life uh, for four or five days and write the first draft of the script. And I usually have to, now I might have like visitors, um, like uh, uh, sometimes I, I'll have comedians come over and like run my jokes by them if I'm doing something funny, or if we're doing something that's got a lot of sex in it, I'll have a model come over and I'll just shoot pictures of like the angles that I'm kind of seeing in my head of like the scenes I want to do just to kind of inspire myself. Um, and uh, actually, I schedule a lot of um, uh, uh, interviews for podcasts like yourself uh, because it, it just gets your brain flowing to like start talking about your craft and your work and stuff like that to kind of break away from uh, just writing. And uh, that's kind of so I kind of like build that up and then I write the script. And then once the script is done, if I don't feel 100% confident in it, which is rare. I will have a read through. I'll get a bunch of actors together, listen to them read through the script, and be and see like kind of hear it. Then do another draft, and then by that point, I'm usually ready to go unless there's a big problem with it, like something doesn't work or uh, something to that effect. And then I go into production. And with uh, production uh, now, uh, over the past couple of days, uh, I went through my uh, Darkstone library that I have here at. Uh, my place, and I did, uh, granted I'm familiar with a good portion of your work, uh, even though it's a very small percentage of the uh, overwhelmingly large library you have done in the past, uh, and I commend you for that, but uh, has you. there been films in production that might have been a uh, logistical or a stunt nightmare in any shape or form? I have only lost, I think, two movies. As in, when I started shooting, uh, I was not able to complete them. Um, uh, one was something called Night Soccers, which I did in 2008. And it actually wasn't a movie. It was a, uh, uh, I think it was a 15-hour television show. And the funding kind of fell out on it. We lost an, one of the leads. And it just became clear that we weren't going to be able to do it. And so that was that one I lost. And I want to say there was another one in high school. Um, but 
for the most part, like, if I get to the green light of, like, day one of shooting, uh, I, I don't lose the production. I will, I'll rewrite. I will, like, I've lost, like, actors and sequences and scenes and sets, and I will go the night before. What I do is I go rent, like, a hotel room, and I go sit in the hotel room, and I rewrite the whole, like, everything that we're doing <laughs> and just kind of fix the problem. The, the reason why I ask is because uh, the other night I finally sat down and watched my car copy of uh, Je the Jester, and oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, again, that's something later on that I'll get into. But while I was talking, uh, you I got, obviously you're familiar with the movie because you made it. Uh, the reason why I brought up the aspect of logistical nightmares is because there was at least one fire stunt in it, and yeah, so has. And there's been times in the past you said you've even hurt yourself on set. Uh, uh, I see. Yeah, so has there been instances where that you initially thought that, okay, this was a good idea, and to turn out it was a bad idea? Not just for uh, yourself, but others. I don't believe anybody other than myself has been really hurt on set. Um and that's usually because if I write something that's a little bit more dangerous, I write it for myself because I don't want to put anybody else in that circumstance. The fire stunts in, that you saw was actually done by a professional. Um, and we did, uh, we've, uh, we've even gone into explosions. Like uh, we have a civil war sequence in a time travel film where we have a cannon and like the ground's blowing up. And these guys who know how to do that are, have it down to such a science that like, uh, there's really no danger because they just know what they're doing. So now, you wouldn't put it past instead of doing. I can do this. You. There have been times that you said, "Okay, I might be able to do this, but let's get a professional on set who knows the ins and outs that can do this so safely that it looks dangerous, looks complex, but in reality, to them, it's a Tuesday." Exactly. Like I mean, there's uh, with actually a lot of the stuff like in the Jester. When before I wrote the script, I got together with the, uh, the stunt crew and we walked around the location and I said, what are some of the things that you can do? And they said, you know, I can do a 20-foot flamethrower coming out of somebody's hand. I can uh, do a deer spine getting pulled out. They, they walked me through what they could do and then I actually wrote it into the movie uh, because of that. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would attempt anything other than stunt work with myself, uh, anything with like pyrotechnics or because I, I have no training with any of that stuff. So like I, I would, um, I, I definitely, well, I guess there was Skeleton Key 1. We went maybe a little, there was a guy who showed me a trick of how you could light your hand on fire uh, and then quickly put it out like with using this gel. And so we did that on, but I'd see, I had seen him do it and I had been a part of him doing it. So we did it and everything was fine. Um, but, uh, but I guess that might've been, I might not do that today. Like right. I might've, I, I probably let somebody else handle that versus me doing it. So back then, yeah, when you see old footage like that, you're just chalking it up to, I was young, dumb, and potentially stupid for doing something like that but it worked out oh sure a lot of the a lot of the stunts that i've done i there was a movie i'd made called a la carte where i go tumbling down these stairs and they have no rail 
So, like, if I had just bumped a little to the left, I would have fallen off of it. And I'm doing it in cowboy boots, so I have no control of anything other than just hope to make it to the bottom of the stairs. I might not do that today. <laughs> um, <laughs> so where, you know, when I was 23, it was like, ah, whatever. Now, so if uh, you get a nail in the back, it'll be fine. Because we're kind of still talking about the filming process and that what you go into. Uh, you've taught about uh, a little bit about self-distribution and going through a distributor what it what has what is the difference between especially with the recent months with uh people talking at least some filmmakers talking about amazon what is the difference between or your experience uh at least that you're able to tell us or willing to tell us about the difference between going through a distributor versus uh amazon versus maybe something like right now go trying to put out something yourself well, I'm, I'm very new to the self-distribution angle. I, have, I just started releasing things on Amazon uh, within the, I don't even think it's been a full year yet, so I'm very new to it. Um, so, so far as that is concerned, you essentially create a business with Amazon, and they kind of level you out of like where, what realm, what you can do with that business. Um, and then, you know, I got the okay to upload, you know, movies and stuff to Amazon, um, which is a difficult process because they're very, they scrutinize quite a bit, um, especially if they're going to put you on prime because that's like their bread and butter. So I go through all the loops and stuff with that. And then, uh, and I get that up, but, uh, in the older days, you would go to a distributor or a distributor would come to you. The whole, you know, if you had one come to you, you're, you're doing good. Uh, but they would give you like a, there'd be three different kinds of deals. There would be, here's money up front to buy the movie outright and we can go do whatever we want with it. Then there is, um, it's a 50-50 cut. Whatever I make off of it, I give you 50 cents on every dollar that I make. Then the most common deal is, we have to make a certain amount of money first for the month, for the effort that we put into releasing your film, whether it's making your trailer, your poster, uh, traveling to, uh, not conventions, but, um, like film markets and, uh, selling your film. And then usually that's the deal that everybody gets. And then after they make back whatever set amount of money that they hope to make back, then you get your 50, 50 cut. Um, most, small-time filmmakers get that deal and it never really turns out good because they never seem to make the money that they originally planned to make. Um, at that point, you have to kind of, when you get that deal offer, uh, you're, that means you don't have Tom Hanks in the movie. So they're not willing to pay you up front for it. So the, the goal at that point is to just get it out there. To like you, you know, you might not make a dime off the movie, but is it worth it to just use their resources to get it, to get it to reach as far as it possibly can? And I've made that deal many, many times. I know recently uh, with uh, at least Plan Nine, and I'm not maybe the Dark Net uh, with some uh, as a recent production that you have currently finished on. Uh, you've gotten some a little bit bigger names in your production so over the years uh, you've have you considered your company at uh, Darkstone uh, grown to that point that you were able to get at least now a few bigger names in your production 
Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, Darkstone is we have a really good reputation um, that I'm aware of. There could be dark alley talk that I'm, I, I don't know about just yet, but um, for the most part, we 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 luckily have been able to make films on a certain quality level, and we treat people really, really well. And so, because of that and that word of mouth, um, we've been able to get bigger name actors to come work on our films. Because um, they feel that they might be treated well, and at the same time make something that they might like, they at least hope that they would like. Um, so you know, Darkstone. When I was making Shadowhunters, um, you know, we didn't have a reputation. We were really just getting known. Um, but I, we've, we you know, we've we've been very lucky to. Uh, kind of up our gear every few years. We get nicer cameras. We get nicer equipment. We um, learn as we go, and uh, and I think the biggest one is that we you know we treat everybody really well, and I think that goes a long way with like why to kind people of want to correlate with, with what you're what, with what you're saying uh, was uh, Sh- I think Shadowhunters. If I'm familiar with your timeline, your first uh, ofi- I think official release that I know of, and yes. uh, not to mention, I can agree with you in regards to upgrading equipment, it seems uh, over the past uh, at least 10 years, a lot of the digital stuff especially has become way cheap, especially the high-def stuff, has become way cheaper and more available for everyone to get their hands on in a way. Sure, absolutely. Um, Have you, it's um, definitely... Even though you might be, I won't say one of the bigger names, or you said you're starting to become one of the more well-known names in the industry, have you? Can you say, as this quasi-professional, I don't, I don't mean to insult you, that no, because no, no, the right, technology please. is becoming more and more available to everybody, have you seen any type of increase of more and more independent filmmakers out there that are trying to get their leg into everything, like you once did, maybe way back in the day? Oh, sure. Um, there's, I mean, the, the hard part is, so this is, this is how it kind of works out. And this is, this is probably why I've been able to get the success that I have is when I first moved to Charlottesville, uh, there was a lot of filmmakers. They're all in, they all had DV cameras. They all had, uh, HD. They were all excited. They were, you know, there was maybe like, you know, 15 of them. And, you know, over time, they realized that how hard and difficult it is to be a filmmaker. And they kind of changed, they either quit or changed their, their pace or, uh, or just get burned out. And I last passed them. <laughs> like, uh, now in Charlottesville, there's probably like five filmmakers. And um, I think I, I got the reputation just because I'm still here where a lot of them have kind of backed off of it. Um, just because it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Like, you have to get rid of all your pride. You have to, um, you know, eat uh, ramen for years. Um, uh, it's, it's not an easy road, but if you have that just demon inside your gut that makes you tell these stories and keep doing going and keep going... Um, it kind of gets there, but I think 
Um, I think I, I, I'm living the life of a Highlander <laughs> or a, uh, um, a Connor McLeod. Like I'm just, yeah. I'm like they keep dropping off. Um, <laughs> cause they just, they keep getting knocked off. There's fewer, fewer of us getting to that quickening. But, uh, that kind of being said, ha- um, since you started, I want to say officially, uh, putting out or selling movies on either DVD, Blu-ray, so forth and so on. Was there mm-hmm. any uh, pinnacle moment that says, wait a minute, I might have something here in regards to, uh, um, you know, I'm doing something right, w- whether it be Shadowhunters and, or the infamous, uh, I don't want to say infamous, but the fun movie, uh, Scouting He, that's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm onto something, this is the key becoming dark zones becoming a thing has there been that moment yet yeah i mean they're on on many levels um you know i definitely there's been moments where i was at conventions where people knew who i was uh and this was before facebook was really a thing and i mean maybe myspace was around but like uh i had never been like you know you make these movies and you put them out there and they go to roses and they go to Kmart and in the dollar bin and you you never you never hear about it again but then when you're at a convention and somebody stops and just like quotes your movie to you or um just reacts to like knowing who you are that was a big moment for me realizing um because I, I want to say I was at Spooky Empire in Orlando and I was peddling I can't remember what movie it was. Maybe it was like three or four movies, but I was titling a bunch of movies. And this gentleman came by the table and was shocked to see me. And I was shocked to see him. And uh, he uh, said he came to meet to see John Carpenter, but didn't know that I was going to be there and got very excited about it and left and came back with six of his friends who was, I believe it was Skeleton Key was the, the film of their choice. And, uh, and I took a bunch of pictures with them. And I, it, it was definitely that moment when I realized that, you know, people are watching these things that you just didn't know. I mean, all you would get is you go on IMDb and somebody's throwing spitballs at you or, you know, negative YouTube comments. And you just, you don't really can't, you can't really weigh on that because that's, they're mad about, you know, they had the wrong grapefruit that morning, but like, so you can't really judge it until that moment. And then it actually has grown immensely in the last couple of years where people are now recognizing me in public um, that aren't at a horror convention. And so I, it's not so much about like the, the fame of it as it is like, wow, you've actually seen my stuff. Like if my stuff is available where you... At your, you know, some guy or gal in their, you know, house just came across my work. And that is an amazing feeling and um, will probably, uh, I think I'll have to be buried with a camera just in case I can do something in the afterlife. <laughs> um, I know. It, it, to me, it seems like, I don't know if you noticed it, it, it with the conventions. I only bring it because you you mentioned it uh, skeleton key seems to be that gateway drug that at least some of the older fans uh yeah got into your work i know uh we've kind of covered this in some of your streams that i met i first met you back in 2006 at horror find in out of baltimore and yeah. it was my first horror convention ever 
And oh, wow. me, me and my co-host spent the night, and that I think it was that Saturday night you were premiering the first Skeleton Key outside, and we kind of dismissed it. Again, first sure. horror, horror kind of We might even thought, what the heck is this, and, you know, this nonsense, and, right. and just dismissed it. Uh, it being after hours, uh, you have a lot of the, the parties, the shindigs, everybody's been drinking all day, and we just knew that, hey, tomorrow, when we woke up, hey, in a few hours, this weird kooky guy by the name of John Johnson's kind of premiering or having a kind of a, a test screening of Skeleton Key in the one of the, the smaller little rooms. And we decided, yeah. we went out, had breakfast, came in just as it was starting. And we were starting, we laughed our, our butts off. And I was like, yeah, I got to get this, find out where to pre-order this. Uh, and... <laughs> The, it, it was just one of those like yeah it, I yeah I got I gotta have this I gotta definitely keep an eye on this guy um, but one of the other things I want to kind of bring up we kind of touched on this on again one of your uh, things uh, film versus short uh, what is your uh, for the audience to kind of know and go, um, hear your understanding what's the difference between or I should say John Johnson's definition of a film versus a short. Is there a time, kind of a time limit, or is it basically story-wise, or how does it work for, in lessons for you? Well, I think, well, technically, I think if you're over 70 minutes, you're a feature, and if you're under 70 minutes, you're considered a short, so far as, like, festivals are concerned when they categorize. Uh, but normally, if your short film is over 20 minutes, you're kind of in your own world. Like, it's really, like, that's a difficult thing to make, like, a 50-minute movie. Um, like, if you're making a TV pilot, then you're, that, that kind of fits. Um, but I would say, like, if you're, uh, an authentic short film is 20 minutes or under, and an authentic uh, feature film is 70 minutes and over. The things in the middle, I, I don't know how to classify them yet, because they're, they're just weird animals. Um... I, story-wise, you're uh, you're completely um, telling different stories. A short film is completely plot-based. There's no real character development. It's really about establishing a tone, and then it's really the the most of them have a, a twist at the end or a reveal, and that's kind of like the main focus of a, a short film. Where a feature is a little bit more character based, not quite like a television show. A television show is completely character based. The story is so secondary to the characters, where in a feature, the characters are there, but they're secondary to the the main thrive of the movie. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, that brings up a point because I've been at some. Uh, some conventions, pop culture conventions, uh, I've seen many people say, hey, I have this independent movie uh, I would like you to check out. You know, you have that. They're, they're like you doing the, the standard hustle. Hey, I'm a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. This is my movie. I'd like you to you know, buy a DVD or Blu-ray. And sure. they, they're saying it's a feature film and it's coming to find out it's under an hour. It's 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, it To me, it personally, it's more along the lines, it's got to be at least an hour and 15 minutes before it's considered a movie. 
at least the old standard of the 80s and 90s where movies started at a uh, 30 minutes or ended at 30 minutes now movies are closer to two and a half three hours so right yeah it's i mean that's a that's a difficult i mean i would i would be feel a little gypped if i uh if i was told it was a feature and it was 45 minutes long you you would be upset about that because you wanted a longer form story you know longer format um hopefully they're just not educated enough to know that that does not that is not a feature versus like trying to you know pull a scam or something like that right uh I want to kind of leave Kung... Uh, I know you didn't do the movie. I want to leave Kung Fury out of it because... Okay. Uh, the, the reason why I say that is because I think a lot of people got misinformed uh, or they thought it was a full-length movie when it was considered... They Even the people who made it said it was a short. Uh, when I finally got around to this uh, a fever dream of a movie, which shocked the heck out of me... Uh, sure. It... Personally, I thought it was amazing uh, how he did it and everything else. I was just thinking, like, what? It's only a half hour long. I want it longer. Give me more. Give me more. Uh, personally, I think that's that's the point of being a filmmaker, that even if you're stuck at a certain point, if you can get your audience saying, I want to know more, or, hey, that was way better than I expected, you're, in essence, as a filmmaker, doing your job right. Have you come across friends saying, Hey, I saw uh, Deceptors, or I saw Plan Nine. I want more. I w- in reference to I want to know more. Do a sequel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, just to, to go back on Kung Fury, uh, just a tad. Um, Kung Fury was the first Kickstarter or crowdfunding thing that I ever contributed to, um, because it was very early on, and I just saw what they were doing and thought it was amazing. I was bummed that it wasn't a feature myself, but I was still so happy with what they did. Like you can't really complain too much, but I, you know, I, I was in the same boat. I wanted more. Um, yeah, no, so far as, um, I have a, a really bad habit of turning a short film into like something that would be a series, uh, where it always kind of ends with like, there's a cliffhanger and I've established these characters and you want to see more. And then if it doesn't really pan out and not enough people like the the the, the pilot, essentially, I, I don't make any more of them because uh, I kind of just feel it out to see if they like the idea or not. But I think what I hear more than the, 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 the biggest compliment, or not the biggest compliment, but the uh, most common compliment I get is that, oh, I saw your movie. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I get that all the time. Like, People, they assume that it's going to be terrible, and then it's not terrible, then they're happy about that idea. Um, that's kind of been a, a staple of mine for a long time. Um, and I'm happy with it, because I was able to entertain them a little bit, and that's, you know, that's what we were there to do. Um, I definitely get, um, you know, the sequel things, because I, I have a lot of movies that kind of lead to, like, they're going to be a longer series. Um, and so, you know, like The Scepters, where uh, it kind of ends like, oh, there's more adventures to come. And I, I kind of like those movies that end that way as well, because I was tormented by Sword and the Sorcerer and 
um, Buckaroo Banzai that all like you know had these titles at the end of the film were just like there's going to be another one, and then there was never was another one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but so I I kind of went with that same route where like the scepters is like well they're going on another adventure that can be told in your head like it's not a cliffhanger and like there's because the story itself had been wrapped up um you know the bad guys had been defeated the they were ready to now they're just going into another world to you know go on another adventure and if you know there was an overwhelming you know want for a sequel i would have done it uh but deceptors kind of faded into the darkness and no one really talked about it but then every once in a while somebody would come to me and be like i found it at a pawn shop and i loved it <laughs> so well, like uh, uh in essence doesn't uh uh shadow hunters have uh qu- like quasi sequels to it though yeah shadow hunters shadow hunters was a world that was um so the way the sequels came to be um they, cause they uh we did shoot a uh feature length sequel um, that uh, we got completed, but then the downfall of SD Movies came where no company was buying SD Movies, so I had about four features that just went onto a shelf because we knew there was nothing we could do with them. No one was buying those movies now. And that being said, now that I've got this Amazon life, um, they are now in the plans to be finished and released on Amazon. Um, but at the time, you know, in like 2007 or 2008, um, we just got shut down. We were just like, they only want HD. And I was like, oh no, I got all these movies that are not HD. And, um, so there was that part of the life. Um, but the, the sequel short films that I did, I always liked the world of shadow hunters that we created, like the, the pulp fiction kind of, uh, like, uh, fedora trench coat magic users. And, uh, if I ever get slotted to, um, make a short film where like, you know, somebody's like, I need a short film for you in like two weeks and I've got no ideas on the back burner. I'll make a shadow on short because I love that world. And I'm like, okay, I know what I, the groundwork's already been done. So I could just write another short story in that world. Uh, yeah. And that happened twice. Uh, let me just add, uh, Monique Dupree, uh, as talented as she is, does credit you for helping her learn how to direct because she said she, uh, it's where she cut her teeth in regards to her directorial debut. So yeah, she did that say that she does credit you. She does, I think, have uh, some professional love for you. But I don't quote Monica. If you Monique, if you're, you're listening to this, uh, I'm not fully quoting you this. But I'm just saying that you're giving uh, Johnny some departed credit. So yeah, no, she's an amazing talent um, in her own right, and so many different. Um, fashions and genres and um, from wrestling to photos to horror movies um, she's kind of she has her toes in a million pots um, but uh, but yeah she she liked Shadowhunters and liked the uh, the story of it and she wanted to she said I want to make a short film and I want to direct it and I want you to kind of help me do it and I, I I knew she liked Shadowhunters and I was like what if I just did a Shadowhunters movie and uh um, there was a, a, a wrestler from, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I've, I'm going to show my true colors. I don't know enough about wrestling and uh, I get yelled at all the time for this, but his name is Tommy dreamer. I know that. And I believe he was in the WWE. 
if I'm getting that correctly. Um, I'm not sure. I'm almost in the same boat as you are. So, uh, folks at home, yeah, please I, just email the show and uh, at longcoatmafia@gmail.com and let us know. And when we get our next episode out, or when we get the emails in, we'll be happy to uh, include your email. So, yes, yeah. Thank you guys for that. I, you know, so I, I mean, the horror world and the wrestling world are—they get in tandem a lot. Um, and so I've I've spent you know weekends with wrestlers that I, I didn't know before, you know, because I didn't know the genre. Um, I, uh, but Tommy Dreamer was in the movie. She was working with, uh, or he was working with Monique on their wrestling shows together. But then there was a, uh, uh, a convention that I was, uh, asked to be a guest at and that they were flying in a wrestler to my hometown and asked if I would, if he could ride down with me. And I was like, sure, why not? And it turns out this guy was, his name was Animal and he was one of the road warriors. And I, I had seen pictures of him when I was a kid, um, but didn't, you know, I had no idea. And he gets in the car and he used to hang out with Andre the Giant. And so I just started asking all these Andre the Giant questions. And it was, it was amazing to kind of learn that world. Um, but I'm very new to it, but I keep getting put into that. <laughs> like I'm always right beside one of these guys and uh, so I'm learning as I go um, but in that Monique film that uh, there is a very popular wrestler as well uh, kind of going to the aspect of learning as you go recently oh, or I won't say recently but over the past few years you've recently done deep dives into some of the classic genre characters or horror characters like the mummy the uh, Frankenstein and Werewolf and Dracula. Uh, can you tell us uh, what so far you found out about that, and what do you have any plans to do anything in regards to these characters uh, aside from touching base on with Dracula with the Alucard film that was put out many years ago? Yeah, um, so it's called House of Horrors, and what it is is uh, after I made Plan Nine, I got approached by a few companies that wanted me to write a script and not make the movie myself, but to give them a script. And um, I, I didn't end up doing it, but I was debating on, like, what would I write? And then I thought I would, you know, I really loved monster mashups where they take, you know, famous monsters and put them all together. Uh, and it also kind of, you know, it's sad because these guys are cereal boxes now. Like, they're not scary like they used to be. So I thought it would be fun to try to, uh, one, educate myself with a huge curriculum of, uh, of resources for every monster. And I was going to write this script. And I'm still in my studies because I did every monster to an extreme. Uh, and then I, now I'm in versus films and then monster mashups to follow. Um, and then I, I think I'm going to write a script, but I don't know if I'm going to let it go. I might want to do it myself. Um, you know, obviously I had a love for Dracula making Alucard, um, but now I'm, you know, deep diving on each one of these guys and just the history of them and all the different takes on them and how they affected pop culture. And, uh, um, if I don't write a script after all the work I've put into it, um, I, I think Mariah and a few of the fans will just shoot me, uh, because I've, uh, <laughs> I've brought it into their lives since 2015 you know mariah comes in all the time and i'm watching some random black and white movie or uh some you know really bad swamp monster movie and it's like well i'm, I'm making a study and so she sits down she doesn't like bad movies the way i like bad movies 
So when I watch it, I'm having a blast. When Mariah watches it, she's just seeing a bad movie. So I owe her a script, I think, by the end of it. Otherwise, uh, I might not be able to make movies ever again. Uh, that being said, what is your classification of uh, a bad movie? I know it's kind of goes from person to person, but what is your classification of a bad movie? Well, so, okay. So I think there's a, I think you have to draw a line between an entertaining movie and a bad movie. Um, I think there are movies that have very poor production value and production quality that are super entertaining. Um, so I don't think once they're entertaining, they would be considered a bad movie, but technically they're a bad movie because you're watching the boom and you're, you're seeing all the flaws of the filmmaking. I think a bad movie is a film that is hard to watch because the, from the production value to the storyline, to the acting, to the, it's, it's just, it's not telling its story well, and it's not telling a story or has any kind of redeemable quality to where like, well, the story doesn't make any sense, but that guy's really funny or that, that guy's a really good actor or that girl is super hot or something to balance the scale. Um, but if it doesn't, if it lacks all of those things, uh, then I, I would say it's, it's, uh, it would be considered a bad movie. Now, bad movies and B movies, there's so many genres and like classifications of these things that it's hard to like, because it, it really is by the perspective of the person watching it, what's bad and what's good. Um, but for me personally, I'd say I would call I would call it a bad movie if the production value is low. But I would say I still argue that it's an entertaining film. But if I call a movie bad, it just means that it just fell short on telling its story or or fell short in being entertaining. Uh, personally, I think it, it's a a movie that kind of has. I think you might agree uh, bounce to it, uh, meaning that. It, it could be really bad, as you said, either production value or uh, like films like Piranha, the, early, the first Piranha. It's a bad movie, but yeah. it's got balance, meaning it's so bad, somehow it bounces back to good. But yeah. you could have uh, a mainstream Hollywood film that, for some strange reason, just doesn't have that hook or that bounce to keep you entertained in regards to, I, I don't want to watch this no more. Or it might not have bounce now, like uh, Big Trouble in yeah, Little think, China or uh, The right. Thing. Whereas it doesn't have bounce. It might be an entertaining film, but it doesn't have bounce now. But five years down the road, ten years down the road, somehow people are finding this film and that bounce finally happens. And it's part of sure. that uh, cult classic. So, yeah, I mean, one of the big ones for that was Army of Darkness, right? When Army of the Darkness first came out, it no one thought it was like no one responded to it until years later when it hit VHS. I was uh, I had a conversation with Sam Raimi and this was right after Army of Darkness had collapsed and he completely threw me off guard when he just said, where did I go wrong with this movie? And I saw it, and I loved it. I, 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 at that point, did not see what he was seeing. I, I like, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand it. I said I was, I was fifteen or something. So I, uh, I just mumbled some, you know, fanboy jargon, and he 
just kind of passed it off. So I am definitely embarrassed to this day of that conversation. <laughs> but I mean, I, I didn't understand where he was coming from. Um, but of course now, you know, he would, he would never say that he, you know, he would never make that statement, you know, because it finally found its audience. But in 1994, I think is when we had this conversation it had, that had not happened yet. And he just thought he shot himself in the foot. But, um, Right now, let's see, what else? Uh, I'm going through notes. Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up was uh, with some of your DVD films, if not uh, a sizable chunk, and since, uh, as you stated, Darknet uh, will be out uh, soon, both either on video dem dem demand or uh, on DVD, DVD or both, uh, if it's out on, as physical media, will it have the classic uh, Darkstone Easter eggs as part of it? Absolutely. Uh, every, every disc that I can release myself um, or have say in how it's released, um, I will always have uh, a D-Zone, because I almost let the D-Zone go years ago, and the fans told me that that was uh, a bad idea. <laughs> so... So it'll always have a D-Zone and Easter eggs on the DVD because that's just the fun of doing the extra features, and people seem to really like it. And uh, um, In fact, the D-Zones are actually going to start to be released on Amazon as well, which is uh, exciting. And uh, that being said, uh, the D for the folks at home that are not familiar with uh, John Johnson's works and uh, his DVDs uh, or the Darkstone DVDs uh, that are out that is out there, uh, the D zone is always played. You, in essence, uh, there you're not the host. Somebody is playing you. Why? Right. What, what um, is it? A joke? Is it a gag? What, what? How did that idea come to fruition? It was. It was definitely a joke. Um, I was at a uh, a film festival where uh, I had met the DP the, uh, named uh, Vince Sweeney, who I worked with on many films, uh, including Plan 9. And we were both up for the same award. And But he's a little camera shy, which is hilarious because he uses cameras, but he doesn't like his picture taken or to be in front of the camera in any way. And uh, we were both up for the same award. And uh, we were kind of, we just met that weekend, and we hit it off really, really well. And he said... If I win the if he if he wins the award, would I go up and pretend to be him and accept it? And uh, he won because his film was better. And uh, but I went up and accepted the award because no one knew who I was or who he was at that time. And I always thought that was really funny. And so when we got to do the D Zone, uh, to be honest, I didn't want to set the camera up. And then because no at that point in time, I, there wasn't much of a crew. Uh, so it was like set the camera up and then go stand in front of it and do it like a vlog or I could run the camera and just somebody else could be me the way I was Vince and make it work that way. And that's kind of what we did because I just thought it was funnier, um, you know, seeing somebody say that they're me. And of course now, uh, there's still people who will see the D zone and, and think I'm whoever that person is. Um, but now it's getting to the point where less, that's a, that's a smaller demographic. So and, more and uh, more people are getting wise to the joke, but that's not are, the yeah. only Easter egg that appears either on the DVD or in the movie in, itself. 
uh, please tell us about the other infamous Easter egg you tend to put in your movies, Mr. Johnson. And I'm talking we- about the ketchup bottle. The ketchup bottle, yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, when I made films back in the day, the, the, the time I was making a movie every weekend, uh, my only effects was hunt ketchup. I don't know why we went hunts over Heinz. I think it was because it was cheaper by like 30 cents. Um, uh, and that and like, I think it stayed red longer where, where Heinz would slowly turn orange once it was spread. Uh, so I would have this Hunt's ketchup bottle, and we would be shooting, and we would accidentally just leave it out. <laughs> and so we'd be walking by a car, and there's a ketchup bottle on the car because I forgot that the, to take it down. And, you know, we were racing through and just learning filmmaking, so we weren't reviewing our footage until, like, the day we were editing it. And we are like, oh, crap, there's a ketchup bottle on that bookshelf. So... When I finally got to the golden age of Darkstone, which was Alucard and starting, you know, these films, I thought it would be fun to keep that gag going, even though it's only it started off as only a joke for me, because nobody knew any of the old films from the early days. But then it be, kind of came a thing where somebody's like, "Why was there a ketchup bottle in that bathtub?" And yeah, I was going to bring that up because uh, it's the one of the first things that the eye might go to in the first skeleton key is that there's a ketchup bottle in the bathtub. And you're like, right. why is there a ketchup bottle in the bathtub? And that's a right. little odd. And becoming that new fan, finding out, oh, yeah, it's a thing. And it's yeah. the ketchup bottle is the Waldo of the Darkstone world that you have to find the ketchup bottle in the movie. Sure. And I, and I will admit that sometimes I've hidden it too well to where it's really hard to see. And then, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at it <laughs> where it's not too, it's not like skeleton key where like it, it completely throws you off of like, you're not watching the movie. You're just looking at the ketchup bottle. So trying to find that in between where it's not too well hidden and it's not too in your face, uh, is, uh, it's, uh, it's hard to do, but, uh, uh, I love doing it. And it, um, I must say, one of the things I did, again, I said it earlier in this uh, broadcast that uh, the other day I was watching The Chester and I knew, it's like, there's got to be an Easter egg on this DVD somewhere. Somewhere is that he hides one in every every DVD. There's got to be somewhere, somehow on this DVD. And I was going through the D-Zone and watched the outro and I was like, this should be going back to the menu somewhere. And because of how I watch my DVDs, the timer comes up and it shows, instead of it being the usual like minute and a half, two minutes of what the outro was, it was closer to 15 minutes, uh, 12 right. to 15 minutes. So I was like, okay, there's the Easter egg. There's the e- Easter egg. And I was like, yeah. you, uh, Johnny, you sneaky little SOB. There it is, right? You had to hide it there. <laughs> sure. So... And I, and I yeah, say we that are to making, uh, we are making, uh, we are on our website, um, especially because the, the movies are getting re-released. We're getting an emerald edition of all of the old movies, starting with Alucard. Um, but uh, right now, if you go to our website and you can't find the Easter egg on the DVD, uh, in our trivia section, there is a Easter egg uh, listing of every DVD and where the Easter egg is. 
if you want to go find it uh, on your own versus uh, or, or if you can't find it on your own and you want to like a cheat sheet, we do have it available. Folks at home, uh, I will provide uh, links to uh, John Johnson's Darkstone Entertainment site uh, in the show description, uh, the show notes, and as well as to the official uh, face his official Facebook page, his YouTube channel, and uh, his if he provides me with the proper link, uh, his TikTok page as well, which he's been uh, putting out feverishly uh, little short. 30 second clips on that uh which provides good segue tell us about this whole tiktok phenomena that you are uh a part of right now and seemingly uh to kind of quote you blowing up on right yeah tiktok has been a, a big part of my recent life um so it's essentially a video app that there was a there was one that twitter put out a while ago called vine um, which were these, I think it was six second clips, um, where you, it was kind of comedy oriented, um, where their, uh, Vine went under and, um, because I don't think they ever figured out a way to make money at it. Um, and so there was an app called Musical.ly that was a lip singing app. They, you'd pay for whatever, or they would pay for whatever song and you just lip sing to it, which a lot of kids were on the app. Uh, but that got bought by a Chinese company called TikTok that was a mixture of the lip-singing stuff and kind of sketch comedy. Um, and I found it, and I was, uh, you know, I'm always looking for new ways to promote my films and, get, you know, find new eyes, new uh, a new fan bases, however I could do it. And uh, I, you know, shot a couple of videos from set, um you know, just kind of promoting, I think it was the dark net. It was that recent. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I noticed that like we were being watched by thousands of people and I was like, that can't be right. And then, uh, we had, we had some trouble with our first account. So we switched to a new account. And I, I think for Christmas, uh, my, uh, my cat, uh, Goliath who recently passed, um, he wasn't, he was in his, sickly days and so i started shooting some videos of them just kind of walking around the house and just hanging out and uh and those ended up uh exploding on tiktok um in the hundred thousand range of, of views and all together well over a million views uh once the you add up all the videos so far and so i realized that there was this whole new fan base. Not so much younger uh, as they were just, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know what movies I made. They didn't know any of these things. Uh, but we are about 50 fans away from 10,000 subscribers. And uh, that'll probably happen tonight or tomorrow. And I'm, you know, kind of excited about it. Uh, it's just insane that that many people start watching it. And so, what we started doing is, you know, doing ad libs to not ad libs, but uh, think down to like movie quotes that we like. We did Ghostbusters, we did Young Guns. Uh, we're going to be doing Labyrinths in the near future and Three Amigos, and we just do it in our pajamas in like, you know, my house, and people really respond to it. And they make fan videos of our stuff, uh, but new people are finding Skeleton Key. There was a frat that uh, had kidnapped the llama. 
uh, from a petting zoo, and then them with the llama were watching the Skeleton Key films, and uh, they messaged me about it. Um, so it's just it's just a really exciting platform, you know, because I've been making movies forever. So this is, you know, it's, it takes me 10 minutes to shoot a video um, if I have the idea together uh, or less. And uh, and it seems to be just bringing this whole new audience to Darkstone. And uh, even to the point now where we're trying to define the old fans who have been with me forever since the, the Golden Age and the, the the new fans because there's so many new ones in comparison to the old ones so we're trying to define like a name for them uh, which we haven't quite been able to figure out yet but i think that the guys who have been with me you know so long kind of deserve to be recognized for that um even though i'm you know all the new fans i'm you know it's, i'm very grateful and i'm very uh excited about it i just uh I don't want it to become the thing where, you know, you hear people talk about a band and then like, I liked them before they got popular and then they got popular and I no longer liked them. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be that. So I'm trying to uh, balance it out um, as much as I can. And now with Amazon, we're being found by, you know, Amazon and TikTok are the new platforms that I've taken Darkstone to. And we've had a lot of success with that. And so, um, I don't know, it's, it's a new territory. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge part of everything I do now. Um, you know, more than Twitter and Facebook and, uh, Instagram, I've, you know, I've had a lot of success with, with TikTok and Amazon. And so, go ahead. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I was about to say, I know you used to call us old timers, uh, the old school fan, uh, fanboys and fan group ghouls if you want to uh, pardon the pun uh, uh, the Darkstone Legion would you have to come up with a new fan uh, fan term for the younger folks or would you still classify them as the Darkstone Legion I, I well I guess Legion is kind of an over encompassing word for all of them because Legion is with a lot of people so I think what I'm trying to do is come up with a name for the old school guys uh, that you know, so the, when they come to me, they can say, I'm this. And I'm like, which immediately tells me they know the old movies. Like, they're not just getting on the train now or more recently. Because um, right now, all the TikTokers are basically TikTokers. That's, the, that's how they, you know, like, I know you from TikTok. And so that, that they're already kind of classified because of that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's just the... It's, I've been very lucky, and uh, it's, it's kind of amazing because I've been doing this a long, long time. And then all of a sudden to have 10,000 new eyes in, it, what has it been, two months? Right. <laughs> like it's, 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 been, it's been nutty, and it's, uh, it's overwhelming. And, uh, you know, when I do a live show on Facebook, and, you know, gentlemen like yourself climb on, and I, I don't have to explain who I am. Everybody knows the deal, and we can talk movies and stuff like that. When I go live on TikTok, um, I have to kind of explain who I am to these people because they just seen the videos. They don't know anything about Darkstone. They don't even know Darkstone's a thing. Um, but then once they do, they, they, they go to Amazon to check out the movies. They go to Facebook. And so it's an amazing platform for me as a telling these little short you know stories and and you know shots from set and uh i'm very grateful for the success that we've had with it 
before we go into the uh, next two topics, or say three topics, I do have an idea for you to kind of help. Uh, just a spitfall. You don't have to, uh, spitball. You don't have to use it uh, because you mm-hmm. have the old schoolers like myself and the the new uh, new folks from TikTok. Uh, my idea is basically you could have a pen or a button um, with the dark stone logo on top and a key emanating from it as per like skeleton key as reference to skeleton key and those movies uh in regards to the golden age and the other one being a button or pen uh featuring a clock face and the dark stones logo as a center as a way of kind of oh you're from t- uh fans from tiktok and you, you guys are from the older school and buttons are i think relatively cheap to uh have done oh up. yeah 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 no it's definitely uh, I, I I definitely think I should make a limited edition something like the button or something like that for the old school fans. I, I think that's a great idea. Just something that they can get, um, so you know that they have it because they've supported me the longest, and uh, I I will never forget those guys who basically built built Darkstone to be what it is. Uh, I wouldn't be popular on TikTok if it wasn't for these old guys supporting me back in the day. Like, that just never would have happened. So I want to make sure that in no way they are forgotten or feel like they're forgotten. All right. Uh, to kind of move things on a little bit, uh, one of the things that is a common theme or a relatively common theme in your movies other than the ketchup bottle uh, is every film takes place in... The one, the only, Nilbog. Um, so it's sure. a two-part question. Why Nil? One, why Nilbog? And two, uh, you are why develop the law lore for Darkstone's Nilbog? Okay, so there's there's two answers to this question. The short answer is I like Troll Two. The long answer is, before I ever saw the movie Troll 2, I had a Trapper Keeper. And I really liked a movie called Monster Squad. And in Monster Squad, they would take, uh, there's a scene where they take uh, Dracula's name and they write it backwards, and it's Alucard, and he spells it out and realizes Dracula's called his house. So I, in my Trapper Keeper, took all the monsters' names and put them around backwards until I found Mill Bog. And I was like, ooh, that'd be a great name for a town. Like, you know, the town of Nilbog. And so I started writing movies that took place in this town. Now, I got the idea for writing movies that took place in the town from another filmmaker who did something similar. Where like in, uh, And it basically goes to John Hughes. I think John Hughes, all of his films take place in a, in a fictitious town. And so I thought it would be fun to kind of, you know, connect all the movies that they all happened in the same place. Um, now, I had not seen Troll 2 <laughs> at that point in time. And basically, there's a, uh, I can't remember what country he's from, but there's a, a foreign gentleman who has the same idea. And uh, now people, especially after making Plan 9 from Outer Space, people think that I'm referencing Troll 2. So if I, if there's, if I have to give a short answer, I think Troll 2 is hilarious. If there's a long, if there's a long answer, uh, Monster Squad and a Trapper Keeper brought me to this. But what? Why now develop uh, more of the lore, lore, or town lore from a uh, school mascot to a bakery, and, or so forth and so on? Is it to make this town more interesting, or th- that way, if uh, 
if you're at a restaurant uh, and they don't want to let the name of the restaurant or diner know, you could just tack up, okay, this is the, the Nilbog Diner or something like that. It's kind of all of the above. It's, uh, it's one, it's kind of fun because, you know, one day I might be able to become, uh, you know, a, a trauma-esque kind of company where, you know, they have a lot of merchandise for all kinds of stuff. So I know, like, right now we're working on a hot sauce that we're going to try to release through Darkstone ourselves. And uh, I've been working hard on trying to perfect it, and I'm not there yet. I'm probably still a couple years away. There's so many avenues to try. But then we were like, you know, once we create all these Nilbog things, we can actually sell, like, that. that you can get a T-shirt that has the Nilbog ketchup on it and not just be a Darkstone shirt. So there's a lot more options on how you can be a part of it and then also on facebook i like creating the lore with the fans and uh doing a voting system and like say in this movie we want to have uh a bakery and so they get to kind of you know with now granted if like the one who wins is something that doesn't work really at all i'll veto it but uh but, but for the most part they're the fans seem to have the heartbeat of Darkstone anyway so they come up with things with me and i think that's more fun um, because and, they know, and it provides that, the fan interaction. It does, and I and I like that a lot. And uh, I mean, I I make the the movie for two people. I make it for myself, and I make it for the fan. And I'm trying to please both of us. Like I want to like the movie, and I want to make a movie that they will like as well. Um, and so I think them being a part of the creative process of making the, the lore and the town that it's in. I think it's just fun. And I, you know, I'm not copywriting any of this stuff uh, so far as the lore is concerned. So if you yourself want to make a Nilbog Bubbly t-shirt, I'm not coming after you. <laughs> like, right. it's, it's whatever you want to do. Like, this is something that I just want everybody to be able to to do and have, have fun with. Um, I think the most expensive thing we bought is we actually got a Letterman jacket made for Seventh Guest and, uh, I think it's worn again. It's in Give Up the Ghost as well, but it was like a $300 jacket that says Nilbog Howlers, which is the uh, the sports team of the high school, um, or the the uh, uh, mascot of the high school, uh, the Nilbog High School, is a, a werewolf. And I think that Johnny just gave us a little bit of nod, uh, nod in regards to that because... Uh, uh, I'm taking credit, uh, original credit all those years ago for uh, suggesting that idea of having the Nilbog Howlers or uh, Timberwolves or something like that at that time. So, Oh, hell yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, to kind of also, speaking of creativity, uh, before, the, in the pre-show, you kind of allowed me to touch on this. Uh, mm-hmm. You were recently diagnosed with Parkinson's, has that hindered your product, um, producing movies or your creativity at all, or it's the same uh, John Johnson and just that he has to work harder to be a little bit more creative now? Well, it, 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 to, to say that it hasn't slowed me down would, would be false. Um, there's definitely times on set where I have to, because Parkinson's is a very strange animal. Like, it's not quite what everybody assumes it is, which means you just wiggle a lot. Um, there's actually kind of a tax on your body 
where you you know you look at the person and they're totally fine, but right now they're they're trying to keep their head from you know falling backwards. Like it feels like somebody's just pulling you in all these different ways. So there has been times in the in the more recent uh, year where I had to stop the set. I have to be like, guys, I need. 25 minutes to get this out of my system and then we'll, we'll go back on. And, uh, everybody, you know, has been super kind and, and letting me do that and not, uh, uh, you know, adjusting their schedules a little bit if they have to go half an hour over or something to that effect. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a terrible, terrible disease. Uh, but I, you know, I, it definitely didn't get me. Like, I'm not into the depression side of it. I'm not into the, the suicide part of it, which is obviously very huge. Um, now, it will eventually get me to the point where I don't know how well I'll be able to perform in front of the camera uh, because it's hard to hide. Um, but, you know, with technology and the way things are going, and Michael J. Fox and his 1.21 gigawatts, um, there, there might be the day that I would be able to uh, do these things, but I'm slowly working my way to smaller roles and, uh, you know, just kind of weaning myself off of being the lead. I think Xmas might be one of the last leading roles that I take. I'm, I'll still be in the film, just, uh, you know, smaller roles. Um, you know, I'll play the bad guy or something to that effect. So um, eventually you'll become the, uh, rest his soul, uh, the Stan Lee of Dark, the Darkstone universe at one, po at some point. Sure. If, yeah. If we, I, I, um, if we don't get to the, if the point tech, uh, medically where I can make it all, you know, kind of subside, then yeah, I'll probably get to the Stan Lee part, but. We're still a little ways for that reality. Um, and there's also bigger steps that can be taken, like there's the brain surgery that's supposed to set it back uh, years. Um, granted, it's a degenerative disease, so it, uh, it just it keeps getting worse over time. And you have, there's no cure. And um, so the brain surgery um, makes it go back a little bit, but then it'll start getting bad again. And then uh, there's medication that uh, deals with the symptoms, I guess. So, like, when you um, – so I think Michael J. Fox, is where he's at now, is he can have three minutes a day where he doesn't look like he has Parkinson's. Um, I am to the point where I'm at maybe 21 hours of the day. I can seem like I don't have Parkinson's. Now, feeling like I don't have Parkinson's, maybe 40 minutes because um, you, you it's, it's a constant thing that you that you know uh is a part of you like it's just something you have to live with and uh but i'm i'm right now at a point where i can hide it better um or i have cheats that i can do um because you know michael j fox when he made the movie frighteners had parkinson's and he was able to hide it. Like, when you watch that movie, you don't think he has it at all. Um, so it's just, it's, you know, who knows where it's all going to end up or how it's all going to land. But I'm, you know, I, I'm so lucky with my wife and my career and fans. And um, it's a good balance. 
Yeah, like, you have you that know, support system already in place because of again, yeah. as you said, you, your wife. You have great friends, and you have uh, a great fan base already. Who knows what the future holds in regards to your fan base? But right now, it it seems like you have a great dedicated fan base that will yeah. be there and stand by you if needed. And I want to. I'm sure my co-hosts will agree that we here at the show will stand by you as well. Well, thank you. Until I start making the hamster porn, I think I'll be okay with with the fan base. But once I go there, you never know if they're going to stick with me or not. But uh, uh, but no, it's 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 I'm I'm a very lucky guy aside from the Parkinson's. Like, and you know, if it that's that's my demon, that's what I have to deal with, uh, and a receding hairline. But either those two things, um, and. Uh, you know, you just you just battle it, and then uh, you know you just try to stay positive, and you know, and Michael J is doing all kinds of work, and there's a lot of hope. So you know, who knows where it's all going to land? Now, uh, to kind of wind things down a little bit, uh, what are you up to now? And recently, you were at uh, Mysticon. Was it Mysticon? Yes. Um, you. Uh, you won an award at Mysticon. Tell us a little bit. How, how did things go? Before we go into uh, what you're currently up to, if you're willing to talk about that, uh, how did Mysticon go for you? I know I've seen photos of you that you've won an award for uh, something. I couldn't really make it out what. Oh, sure. Um, uh, it's uh, with a lovely convention. It's a smaller convention um, that I've been a part of since their first year, uh, which I think is we're on year seven now. And uh, they always have me back. There was one year I couldn't make it, but all the other years I've been there. And uh, uh, this was the first year I ever put my films in competition, um, other than a 48-hour film festival. So I thought it got to the day um, where I, I finished a film called Give Up the Ghost, which was a short film uh, that I made to test out all the new gear for the dark net. Um, well, that's one of the things I do when I get a bunch of new gear, new camera gear, I'll go make a short film using it so I get familiar with it before, you know, investor money is involved, uh, just to know it as best I can. So I wrote Give Up the Ghost, and I shot it, and I was pretty proud of it when I, when I watched it, and it felt different. And so I thought, you know, this might be better than, to me anyway, might be better than some of my past films so I put it in competition and uh, Mysticon placed it and uh, it won best horror film um, so which means I my feeling was somewhat true um, and uh, it's actually I think it's going to be screening at Creature Feature Weekend in Gettysburg um, and as uh, another one that I think it most recently got into and uh I don't know. I, I just felt good about it, and the, the you know the Mysticon has just been so supportive of everything that I've done uh, since the beginning um, that uh, I will always go back until they you know until the hamster porn and they won't let me come back. <laughs> and that which leads to you, uh, me asking, what are you up to now? Uh, what's if you're willing to mention or plug what you're up to? I know we talked about the dark net. Uh, finally being put onto disc or digital uh but what is in the works for darkstone and john johnson 
I am in the midst of writing a screenplay. I'm at a writer. No, I'm actually not at a writer's retreat, but uh, I couldn't actually get to the location that I wanted to go to to go away. So I took another room in my house that I'm normally not in, and I moved a bunch of furniture into it, and I kind of made it a new room. And uh, I am writing a film called Xmas, which is in the vein of Skeleton Key to a degree. Um, it's it's written, which is very different from Skeleton Key, but it, but the humor and the jokes are more Skeleton Key oriented, where they're very um, uh, loud and very uh, in your face and raunchy and sexual and you know all, all the the stuff that Skeleton Key was, I'm trying to make... Skeleton Key was the Halloween movies. Uh, all, they all had that Halloween black and orange color tone feel. And now I'm starting a new series uh, in the Christmas tone. So it's red and green. So it's a Christmas uh, romp. And we're going to see if people like it, hopefully. And but we're shooting it over the summer. Uh, for me, uh, the Cal Skeleton Key films, uh, one, as I stated earlier, it was my entry drug into the Darkstone, world of Darkstone, Darkstone. but it, it felt like, um, from a stand personal standpoint, that, okay, you made one or two serious films, and you had to uh, do something goofy just to let off steam, then you did sure. a couple more hardcore serious films, then you had to uh, let off some steam, and, you know rinse repeat and rinse again or to put it something along those lines i think you're absolutely correct i think i think xmas uh i actually in 2015 bought a little digital tape deck recorder and i uh have been recording jokes that would come to me uh since 2015 uh for this movie so i've been planning it a long time and uh it's uh it's essentially that is essentially like I, you know, the dark net is a very uh, serious kind of drama horror film, and this is not. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's the balance. It's you know, you get it all out of your system, and then you go make a serious film, and then you, well, all my films have a little bit of humor to them, but more serious than uh, you know, butt pirates and uh, Haitians with stutters and stuff like that. So like it's. This is the the opposite of uh, that spectrum. And uh, I know you also mentioned stuff like Seventh Guest. Uh, mm -hmm. You have done in the past, uh, and I think you mentioned it earlier as well, uh, like series films. Uh, how is, um, let's stick with at least Seventh Guest because that is roughly the most uh, recent, and I know you filmed that, uh, also recently, I think over the past summer or two as well. Uh, yeah. When is that release? Uh, it's in post right now. Um, it, uh, it'll probably release, uh, like this year, we're probably going to get, we're definitely getting the dark net this summer. Uh, and then by the end of the year, we're probably going to have a sci-fi film called Rifters, which will be the two big releases this year. Next year will be Seventh Guest the Series, which is a, a 10, 25-minute episode show uh, based on the uh, board games from the 90s. Or not board games, video games. There is a board game now that just came out, but the, they're uh, uh, PC games from, uh, like, 91. 91, 93, I think. 
Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a completely different animal when you're doing a series. Um, except, I mean, essentially you're making like a five hour movie. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was exciting because I was a big fan of the video games and, you know, to end up getting the rights to shoot a new series was like super exciting. And, uh, um, was uh, traumatizing at the same time because I they left it up to me to answer some of the questions that were left from the game. So I'm literally writing the lore of the franchise that I used to love, <laughs> which is you know it's a big task. Um, and that being said, where you're like, don't don't let me do that. That's too much pressure on someone like myself. I don't want to do that because there are probably a lot of hardcore fans that might come after me in a way in regards to that sure sure i i mean i i definitely didn't back away from the task it made me nervous and i was scared about it for the reasons that we just said but um you know i i would i also went to the creator of the video games often and was just like i'm thinking about doing this with this storyline of this character and this is the background and what do you think and then he would look at it and say yay or nay to what that idea was of it, if it met his original vision. And so he definitely had a hand in uh, going over my ideas before it ever got the script. That way you let him have at least some veto power over ideas. Yeah, that and, and somebody who can be blamed with. <laughs> uh, would you say that... Uh, uh, Doing even though you've done shorts, you've done uh, full-length movies. Uh, has, as you said, uh, doing a TV series is like doing a five-hour film. Uh, do you find yeah. that more draining, uh, or is the same energy uh, just spent out longer? Well, no, it can be draining. I think there's a reason why television shows have a different director every episode. Um, you know, rarely do you see one guy make an entire series himself. Um, and I think it's because it, it is a, it is a very big task and it's a lot of like, I mean, we, I think we shot that movie over a year and a half or that series. Um, so we, it, it was a long time with the, the process and I'm excited to, you know, seeing it kind of now being finalized and, uh, going through color correction and, and, you know, seeing it come to life is super exciting because there's so much work went into it. Um, but I, you know, that being said, I, I just have this ongoing passion for filmmaking. So like, I would probably do it again one day. And two things, I'm going to be putting you on a sp the spot because I, this is one of the few times I've m am able to do this. Uh, folks at home, you're probably witnessing a rare event. Uh, I am, okay. as uh, folks at home know, uh, I do tend to review movies. This is the first time I'm able to review a film with the maker of that film, in essence, quote unquote, in studio, because, um, and I'm. This kind of scares me a little bit because, folks, I am a Darkstone fanboy in a way, even though I'm not shy to uh, pick apart uh, one of uh, Johnny's movies because I have sure. done that with uh, Skeleton Key 3 Part 2 in the past. Uh, but recently, um, I think in a, at an event, I picked up 
one gestures and the other one was uh, he reached it to get the name of the what I picked up again gestures another one was uh, Dr. Elemental's Mad Lab Picture Show. Uh, uh, sure. This was at Melloween, I think, two years ago. Uh, I oh, picked okay. these up. And let's start with Mad Lab. Uh, I did enjoy it because it reminded me of the old school uh, horror host genre in regards to like uh, Drive-In Theater with the Joe Bob Briggs, uh, Elvira, sure. so forth and so on. It was very enjoyable. Uh, I did chuckle and it, it just had that you know hey something i'd watched on uh, saturday afternoons as a kid or late at night on tnt uh, earlier part of the century so uh i'm one say i did enjoy it but i will say mm -hmm. one thing about it imdb uh has it listed as something else as a game yeah uh for mad lab it doesn't have mad lab and night of the living dead it has something listed differently well, for it, okay, for some so odd reason. When it was originally created, it was created for a website called Flixphere okay. as an interactive movie. Um, so the version you saw is actually, it's, it's got three different versions of it. So it was a playable uh, game. So you would when you would watch it, you would say, does Elemental drink the, the juice or does Elemental not drink the juice? And you would choose that in the DVD and be taken to a different story as, the, as it progressed with you. Um, so that's what it was originally shot for. Now, we decided to choose a path through the story and make a DVD release of it for conventions, which is what you picked up. Okay. And now it's gone through another version because it's being released as a television, or not a television series, but it's really being released on Amazon as a monthly show. And the first two episodes are the game. So The Night of the Living Dead and The Satanic Rise of Dracula are being, they, they just got recut and they're being released, I think, within the month of uh, which the version you have has certain scenes that were omitted from it. Uh, because they were part of different choices that you would have made. Uh, but we were able to work some of them back in, not all of them, because some of them are completely different storylines. But uh, um, So the Amazon release will be that. The first one that gets released is Night of the Living Dead, which will have probably, I'd say, about 10 minutes more stuff than, than what, we, what was on the DVD. Um, and then Satanic Rites never got released on DVD, so that'll be... It was just the game, and then this. And then after that, we'll start shooting original episodes uh, that are not a game, and they're not changed around. But I think that's why there was some confusion over what it was at the beginning, because it was made for a company uh, for a very different purpose. Uh, before we go into Jester a little bit, do, uh, with the Netflix uh, Choose Your Own Adventure movie, uh, did you yeah. have that aspect of, hey, we did this with Mad Labs? Two years ago, well, I, I actually did it with a movie called Fear Fighter, um, which was more like the Netflix show. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's you know, Choose Your Own Adventure books have been around forever, and there, right. you know, there's uh, like Fear Fighter. I think is completely playable on YouTube right now. You can go to Kings of Horror and Fear Fighter, and you can play the whole game. The whole thing is uploaded. It's it's uh, there are I think three hundred different paths you could take. Um, uh, so 
you know, I, it, the Netflix thing, I definitely got letters where people were like, hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see this? I was like, yeah, I did it in 2012. But at the same time, like, you know, I didn't come up with Choose Your Own Adventure. That's, that's an older thing from the 80s. I just made a movie version of it. And Fear Fighter was uh, what you did in, I think you were in full facial makeup and a kind of a top hat sort of deal? That is Frightmares. Oh, Frightmares, okay. A, uh, that was a uh, short, we had a short film competition uh, in like 2008, and I was the horror host of that competition. Fear Fighter is actually a full-on story about people who travel into a dimension where the people's worst fears come to life, and they're trying to stop that from uh, happening. It's kind of a big fantasy horror movie with all kinds of monsters, vampires, werewolves, uh you know, all kinds of fears, mimes, there's mimes. Um, so that's more of a narrative story. Okay. And the other one, uh, as a lot of you heard me talk about earlier, uh, this broadcast was The Jester. Uh, I know uh, a lo- you and one broadcast uh, kind of uh, said, well, it's not the best. You're not going to like it. I did find it enjoyable. Uh, mm-hmm. th- the thing is, it does have a few standard tropes into it, but I could understand as a uh, fan and kind of knowing the uh, film, almost how some filmmakers do things, uh, folks at home, I do suggest uh, if The Jester is on uh, Amazon, please check it out. But there is a little bit of uh, uh, spoilers in this. Uh, the main... Uh, I want to say boyfriend lead is made by a Darkstone regular by the name of Chris Duncan. And yes, he sir. also plays the Jester. In the storyline, right. you find out, I'm not going to spoil the full storyline, that the when Chris Duncan is not in makeup as the Jester, you find out him and the Jester are kind of this. Um, familiar relations and what John Johnson has done it's the aspect of showing that well these two are actually related it's that nice little hint even though in science it good chance that's not going to happen but it's a good way to get that idea in somebody's head i don't know john uh john were you planning on that or was there going to be something two different people playing those or i should say a different actor or actress playing the jester than the the opposing lead oh yeah no that was you remember when we talked about going to a hotel room to fix a problem right (laughs) um we had another actor who was uh scheduled to play the garrett role the boyfriend not the jester was always duncan Um, but then when we, uh, the day before we started shooting, now we shot this whole movie in 12 days. Um, but the day before we stopped, he, he bailed from the film. And so I had nobody else. (laughs) Like we started the next day. And so then I was like, well, Duncan's in the makeup. Maybe he could play both parts. And I didn't trust it enough. So I wrote the storyline of him being a descendant. Uh, but to be honest, until the ending credits, about 90% of the people who watch it don't realize it's the same guy. Um, um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't have full confidence in it because we were just shooting it, so I wrote 
the descendant role or, or connected it as a descendant. So something that you could say, a uh, uh, happy coincidence that you were able to solve. Yes, it was definitely a fix that I was happy with. And it, it there, it even though this film came out, uh, even though it was filmed in 2006, according to the credits, it came out closer to 2010, 2012, I think, did it not? Yes. And it was one of the ones that went on the shelf because it, uh, nobody was after uh, SD films. And then we thought we'd just release it on DVD, where SD's okay, at conventions and off of our website. Um, and so it was like a trial-based, because we always try to have something at a convention that you can't get anywhere else, um, other than like you can order it off the website or go to a con, but it's not in the store. And, uh, something uh, along the lines of what you did with... Uh uh, looking at the title for reference, the Lovecraft Chronicles. Exactly, Lovecraft was made specifically for convention. Uh, we will sell it off the site because some people can't make it out to the con and they want to get a whole copy of it. So we have it so that you can order it from Darkstone directly, but it's not available anywhere. Else. So and the gesture was originally supposed to be that, but then I think we ended up getting it released on Amazon. I must say the uh, gesture tends to have a lot of the. I'm not saying it's a bad thing in regards to what you do, Johnny. It does, uh, I must say, if a lot of you out there are getting into um, Darkstone films, he does not do that. I'm going to put it like this. He does not do this all every film, but there is a decent percentage of the film that ha films that have blood, gore, and nudity uh, so please beware of that if any of that is a uh, trigger for you uh, but it is done in fun they are good movies uh, and speaking in regards to the trope of uh, nudity have you found problems with this again I don't want to if you don't want to answer please let me know and that way I, I will back off that that aspect um, you're talking about, like, in the political day and age of today? Uh, uh yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah, there, I mean, there was a, I've only one encounter so far, which was a, um, a guy who kind of aggressed me on Facebook, uh, kind of white knighting, uh, in the argument that, uh, he kind of uh, didn't understand what the Me Too movement was. Uh, Me Too movement is, uh, you know, don't be a rapist. And, you know, that's a good thing. Don't grow people. And that's a good thing. And give women equal rights. But he took it to nudity in film as degrading women. And uh, he's completely wrong about that. Uh, where, uh, you know, a lot of girls actually chimed in who have worked for me or worked with me and had done nudity. It's like they gives them power. They feel stronger. They, they feel good and confident about their bodies. Uh, it. So if you're not treating them poorly, then there's really no, um, you know, you can still, you know, be attracted to women and men and not, um, you know, just be respectful. And I think that's all it really is. And so I think, far as uh, nudity you, you, is concerned. 
in that post, I remember that post as well. Uh, he got this gentleman, if you want to call him that, got destroyed with the, everybody's arguments uh, on your side, for that matter. Uh, I want to say that, and even you, I think you timed in. Uh, I think Chris Duncan timed in. Uh, yeah. Others that worked with you chimed in, saying that this is not our policies in any way, shape, or form in regards to you know what we do. We don't if one of our female performers does not want to do this she doesn't have to do this and we will work right. around this when we pitch a role it's got this we give them the script and the script has in detail of like what happens in the scene it's we've never like thrown it at somebody while they're on says oh by the way you're gonna have a sex scene in the shower like you, we, this has been discussed way before they've ever accepted the role like it's never um you know you know, maybe in Skeleton Key, if we're already, if we've done like 10 jokes with boobs with, and a girl, and we're like, we have, we wrote an 11th joke, are you okay with this? You know, something to that degree, but they've already done 10 jokes before. It's never somebody who's not comfortable in that world anyway. But yeah, this guy was the only guy I've ever been attacked by. And of course, it was like a white guy who is just, God, he's got all of his facts wrong. And, uh, you know, I mean, once again, it goes back to the, the thing where, you know, we get people work with us because we treat them with respect and we're just good to people. And if you stay that way, people will want to work with you and, and uh, be willing to show their boobs. <laughs> uh, before we head on, I think I pretty much covered everything uh, I wanted to, um, even though. Probably not everything that I should be covering. I think over the past close to two hours, we covered a hell of a lot of ground. Uh, is we there did. any any advice that you would like to give uh, a young person uh, who wants to start their own, or get into what you're doing, or that independent filmmaker that is kind of questioning themselves right now in regards to uh, what to do? What uh, do you have anything for for them? I guess the big one for me is just never give up. Like, it's easy now with technology, and, like, it used to be back when I was starting out that it'd be the guy sitting on the couch saying, well, I could make a movie like that, and then that's as, that's as far as it went. Now that everybody's got a cell phone and can just, you know, literally get up off the couch and start shooting two seconds after they have the idea, that argument's kind of passed. But what I would say to young filmmakers is just never give up because the second you start making your movie, everything's going to be against you. Like, that's just what movie making is. So just don't quit because you will regret quitting more than you will, like, making a bad movie. Even if you made a bad movie at the end of the day, you made a movie. So my advice is just never give up. And to those that uh, are out there, would you say that if you feel like there's something should be done or a, a different viewpoint to, hey, you too can be a, a filmmaker, you can pick up that, uh, in essence, that pen and paper and create a film because of that ease right now? Yeah, I, I definitely think that it, there, there's it's a lot easier to make a movie now than it was in 1994. Um, so there's nothing stopping you except for you. 
and I think that's uh, pretty much it. Um, I have nothing more to ask uh, uh, or to speak to Mr. Johnson about. Um, unless he has any last words, uh, I think I, we could end it right here. Cool. Yeah. Uh, stay, in, stay in drugs and eat your school. And now, the Long Coat Mafia Podcast. It's a Long Coat Mafia Podcast! He's cleaning up. Ah! Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this interview that was over four years old. And also, you found it informative in regards to what goes on inside the mind of an independent filmmaker. John Johnson was the first... I want to say the first independent filmmaker we've had on this program. We've had many others since then, like Mark Byrne, David Kerr, amongst many, many others. Uh, There were a few others that we missed out on due to uh, getting schedules and all that, but uh, the top three most memorable folks that we've had on this show was John Johnson, Mark Byrne, and David Kerr. Uh, again, John Johnson was the the longest. You could find the links to his stuff down below. Please show him some love. Uh, find his stuff on Tubi, if they're on Tubi. Uh, follow him on Twitter, on many other uh, social, on his social media, so that way you know when his stuff is coming out, you can find it. You could watch it. You could have that sample, that taste of it to see if you want to enjoy it. And especially if it's on a place like Tubi or Freebie or uh, Roku or something like that. That way you're not really spending money to do it, to watch this program. And you could actually try before you buy. Um, if you there is a way to buy his stuff and you enjoy his stuff, uh, you Email the gentleman and ask politely how you could acquire some of his movies. That way you could enjoy his stuff uh, on your own leisure. Uh, What more can I say? Uh, I enjoyed this interview. I've enjoyed having him on and discussing his work like everybody else we've had on this program. So uh, that being said, I'm going to end this right now. By saying stay tuned uh, this upcoming Monday, if not this Tuesday, for our usual Lost Media uh, episode featuring the Covert cast. And hopefully Wednesday, if not Thursday again, we'll have a brand new extended episode for all of you guys. And it's new. It's fresh. It's me and Sasha discussing a lot of stuff. So much to go into and everything. Uh, I spoke to her today wednesday in regards to what we're going to be talking about and everything else and filling me in of some of the drama y'all are going to need to stay tuned for this one come on back like share support us and find out how hey by listening to us and supporting us we'll give you news of what you might want to be checking out and maybe maybe that next thing that we tell you should be checking out could be the next psycho gorman that that next kung fury that next Velocipastor. you're gonna want to watch this or heck it might be the next zero so check it out check it out listen to us share 
like, comment, subscribe, comment on places like uh, Good Pods, share us on Good Pods, get the word out, subscribe to us on Good Pods. We're, we're trying to get traction there. Uh, uh, Podbean has all our episodes. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, all the major outlets. We're on YouTube. All our stuff is in the description down below. Support us there if you want to. Uh, we know times are tough. So, Enough of me rambling. This episode's gone on long enough. Uh, I'm the Reverend Godfather, a.k.a. the Martinsburg Man-Man. And other than listen to us next week, all I could say is this. I'm a gamer. I'm wearing a bikini. See you next time on the Long Coat Mafia.